Thank you for tuning in to Highly Functional under the umbrella of Hardwater One. This is Dr. Brianne Shelman-Brown, the Functional Athletic Specialist. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. I am joined today with Nick St. Louis, a physiotherapist up in Canada. He is the owner of the Foot Collective. We are going to dive into why being barefoot is so important, why ankle mobility and foot strength, stability, and control are integral into healthy, functional bodies. So Nick, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brianna. I appreciate it. You are quite welcome. So first, I just want to find out, this isn't something that's taught in school. In school, we never get that why ankle mobility and foot strength and all this is important. I mean, foot and ankle is barely addressed in school. So how did Mm. this become a passion of yours? Uh, it was almost through self-discovery, actually. I went to a, um, a big strength conditioning or, or weightlifting injury uh, conference in Toronto, and there was a, a powerlifter that was there, and he started talking about ankles in a way I hadn't heard anyone talk about them before. And uh, it really just resonated with me and made me kind of take a look at my own body and my own ankle mobility and foot function and made me realize pretty quick that I didn't have ankles that worked very well. And to address those limitations, I kind of used myself as patient zero. And by working on things, I quickly realized that the things that worked, that were most effective were actually extremely simple and were very counter to what we're typically taught um, in school or or things that I was, that I used to preach to patients. So that kind of changed my mindset into thinking, okay, well, maybe the way we learn about foot and ankle in school is maybe not the most effective way to teach this to people so that they can, you know, address their issues. And, and the importance certainly of foot and ankle was not addressed, was not emphasized whatsoever in school. So when I started taking, that was kind of what triggered me taking a deep dive into things. And since then I've just been trying to kind of learn more and more and more. And uh, it's kind of led me down this path to learn about um, much more about hip, um, hip stability, hip mobility, um, it's made me kind of want to look into running and how the footwear we wear affects our running technique. And, and so, yeah, it's just been kind of this ongoing journey to try and learn as much as I can about feet and hips and how to help people optimize their own bodies with just kind of uh, simple education and tangible advice of, of what they need to work on every day. Yeah, that's great. It's such an underutilized area. And like you said, the hip plays such a big role in this whole process as well. And there's so much interplay between the two areas that Mm-hmm. goes unnoticed goes undressed at times or unaddressed yeah i mean I, I you know the foot is the foundation for the body but until you actually put it into that perspective and really think about it a little bit um it that really for me was a big one to just say okay the feet are definitely important it's our only point of contact for most of our our lives <laughs> in terms of movement um and we're paying zero attention to them and you know, it's kind of like an engineer building a building, but just kind of glancing over the foundation, which is really the most important part that everything else is built on top of. And when we really, you know, when I started to understand how ankle mobility dysfunctions or foot instability or, or foot dysfunction started to affect people's movement, I was seeing these patterns in every single patient that walked in the door. You know, whether someone had foot pain or foot problems, uh, subjectively, everyone had dysfunctional feet. And it was like this epidemic that was just flying under the radar. So it's really made me, uh, you know, think about, okay, what are we doing wrong here? What are we, what's causing these issues? Number one. And number two, how do we most effectively educate people so that they can fix their own bodies? Because it's not, 
you know, I'm sure you share the same opinion. We don't fix people as health professionals. We educate them on how their body works and help guide them on what they need to do on their own bodies on an ongoing basis. And, and that just wasn't being done in, in, from what I could see in terms of uh, physical therapy or, and even the ways that, you know, we have, um, the clinic that I work in in Ottawa has sport medicine physicians and physios working under the same roof. And our typical approach to treating foot dysfunction was looking back, one of probably the worst ways to treat dysfunctional, you know, stiff, weak feet. We put them in a cast to make them even more stiff and even more weak. And, you know, I never really clued into the fact that that was a problem. And then when I started to learn about feet and, and you know, the fact that most people have stiff, weak feet, um, it's like the foot of abides by the same physiological principles as any other body part, right? If someone comes in with a stiff, weak neck, you don't put them in a neck brace for the rest of their life. You make sure that they are moving their neck and strengthening their neck. And so just taking that approach to feet has been very, you get a good amount of resistance. I think there's a lot of industries built on selling you a shoe that does all these crazy, you know, things, um, selling you orthotics that help support the arch of the foot. If you have a flatter foot, um, and, and yeah, just kind of looking at it from a different perspective, I was like, wow, we got, there's a lot of work to do to get people away from those things because they're very deeply ingrained in the medical system and in the, um, you know, just in the, in the retail marketplace for footwear is, is absolutely insane. So, and I think that's where we, we struggle is the, you know, all the marketing around these shoe companies is all this cushion and stability and all this, mm -hmm. these factors, you still have the physicians who just want to put them in an orthotic and go on their way or do an injection and go on their way. And so there's this small group of people that are very underfunded talking about the foot strength and the control of that foot. When you have this overpowering voice talking about everything else. And so that's where it's, it's, it's so important for us to educate, but it makes our jobs a lot more difficult to educate them as well. Yeah. There tends to be a big disconnect. I mean, you know, doctors that are putting people in orthotics are not bad people. They're not purposely trying to make people's feet stiff and weaker. They just, they, they don't know any other alternative, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't been, they haven't had a conversation to understand why they should think differently. And so that's where I'm finding myself. It's like, as soon as you have a conversation with physicians and, and use like a very easy, rational, logic kind of discussion of, of why orthotics are not good, why spending barefoot and going to more minimal footwear is good, they intuitively understand. They're very smart people. Um, and they're just, they've been almost kind of lobbied or, or they've been shown a way to treat foot dysfunction that intrinsically, um, if you don't look at the foot as this element that's connected to the rest of the body, it makes sense, right? If, if you can't change the foot, if it's stuck in one shape and, and, and you can't change the strength of the stability um, and the foot's not connected to anything else, then if you have a poorly supported foot, supporting it artificially makes sense. But as soon as you have the conversation about your foot can change based on what you expose it to um, and your foot's connected to the rest of your body, like to your hip, which is a major joint that controls the foot, they're like, oh, okay maybe orthotics aren't the best way to do things. Or maybe they're, you know, they're, it's not to completely scrap them, but maybe they're you prescribed, you know, 10% uh, of what they're prescribed right now for those group of people that need something temporary. Just like if you break your leg, you need a crutch. And if someone is in so much pain when they're walking that they need some support to improve their quality of life as they're working on regaining that strength and mobility, then so be it. But, you know, I don't think they should cost $500 and you could probably go to Walmart and get an insert that'll do the same thing for that short period of time. So. Yeah, because I'm not very popular, but I honestly, I'm on team foot. I'm on team human health. I really don't give a shit who gives me crap for saying what I say because, 
you know, I'd rather learn than be right. So if someone shows me a different way of doing things that are more effective, I'm open-minded to changing my mind. I, I, you know, I'm looking for the Holy grail is just find the way to help people fix their bodies. And so if you're not on my team, then I don't really, um, it's just kind of background noise for the most part. Yeah. And you know, I, that's kind of the direction I got into this whole realm myself. I was put in orthotics. Ooh, probably back in maybe 2004, 2005. And then, um, for knee pain, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, around the time that Vibram started coming out and a little bit of stuff, I started looking into those. I'm like, I was, as a therapist, I was curious more than anything. So mm-hmm. got a pair of those, started running in them within a year. I got rid of my orthotics completely. I've not worn them since. I've not had knee issues since. And nice. that's what really turned me on to the fact that like these foot, these feet, is, you know, control everything up the chain and really align things. And as mm-hmm. I've integrated this into my practice, you know, I'm getting my CrossFit athletes are hitting PRs just by learning how to work their feet, just, you mm-hmm. know, put everything up the chain. Like you were saying, it's the foundation. So we get that foundation strong, then everything else can be stronger. Yeah, I really think that second only to sleep, in my opinion, working a little bit on your feet is the easiest performance enhancer you can do. Mm -hmm. It really is. Like, and that's where you get people interested. They don't give a shit about not hurting their feet in future or reducing their injury risk because that's not tangible. If you say you'll be able to lift more, you'll be able to run faster, that's where they're like, okay, I'm listening. Tell me more. And so in terms of performance enhancement, a little bit of work on the feet gives you massive dividends in terms of performance and movement quality improvements. Um, you know, your feet are sensors. If you're not using your sensors to guide movement, your body's not going to allow you the, your, an optimal amount of mobility. It's not going to allow you an optimal amount of power output because it feels like it's just uncertain about what you're standing on. If you're sticking a massive layer of air or cushioning between you and the ground. So it's just, you, we got to let our foot sensors actually feel the ground. And that starts with changing our footwear. And that's honestly the single biggest thing you can do to have healthy feet is to reassess the footwear you're wearing because that's the number one determinant of foot specific problems uh, in terms of what I find is just the shoes you wear right if you're wearing these shoes that don't allow any motion that put you on a ramp all day that have a narrow toe box and squish your feet um, you're gonna have foot problems how could you not and so I think reassessing that and changing the footwear you wear is step number one so that your body can actually get the right signals to, to improve your posture, to improve your alignment, to actually fire the right. And almost none of those joints are moving. What's the point of any muscles having to work if the joint they cross doesn't move? So they kind of just atrophy and wither away. And not only do the muscles atrophy, I really think that the brain pathways that are in charge of those muscles basically just get put on hold, like they're not being used. And so until you actually remobilize those joints, until you put your body in a position where it's forced to, to cue and fire those muscles, reset those those kind of tight trigger point muscles or, or um, those, those bands that are just locked up. It, you really need to, you know, it is partially as simple as going barefoot because by going barefoot, you mobilize your foot, you force yourself to use the muscles. Um, but there's a ton that we can do to kind of speed up and offset, you know, two decades of wearing poor footwear or spending, you know, overdosing on the sitting position. And, you know, that's what our seminars are all about is just give people as much as we can in six hours to teach them. Okay. This is what causes foot dysfunction. This is how to see if you even have foot dysfunction or to measure how much range you have at your ankles to see if you have functional or non-functional range. And then these are the things that you have to do, starting with you know, eliminating or, or understanding the effects of sitting, understanding the effects of footwear that has negative um, kind of elements like a, a, a ramp or a heel lift, a bunch of cushioning and all that kind of stuff. So it's really just 
help people understand what gets them into trouble in the first place. By getting rid of the problems that get you into trouble, you honestly do more than 50% of the work, right? If someone just changed their shoes and reduced the amount of sitting that they did, they would be more functional. Um, and then it's just how much time do you want to spend on your body every day? And that dictates how quickly you can get results. So. Yeah. I want to dive into the sitting a little bit because shoes, that's an easy one to understand. You show people person the shoe, you see the, um, you know, the drop in there. And, mm -hmm. and so that makes sense. So many people don't understand how sitting affects it because they're sitting in place. They just think their feet are on the floor and they're fine. So let's dive into that a little bit as far as how sitting affects the foot and ankle structure itself. Sure. So um, I'll put a little asterisk besides sitting um, because when I talk about sitting, I talk about prolonged periods of time statically spent in the hip and knee at 90 degree position. Okay. So um, I'm not talking about if you sit on the floor, I'm not talking about that. If you sit cross-legged, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the hip at 90 degree flexion position for long periods of time because sitting really is not, sitting is not the enemy, right? Um, it's all about the dose. Just like if you salt your food, it's probably a good thing. But if you eat a pound of salt, you're dead, right? So it's all about the dose. If you sit for half an hour to take a break from gravity, that's not a bad thing. Um, but if you sit for 10 hours a day and think nothing, nothing of it and do it day in, day out, it's going to give you problems. And so, you know, the way, one thing that I do with patients and that we show at the seminar as well to connect people's brains with understanding, okay, my hip affects my foot is I'll get people to stand hip width apart. They'll bend their knees slightly and they'll drive their knees outward without letting your feet come off. And instantly what they see is the arch of their foot comes up. And that I think cues in their brain that makes, gives them a visual feedback connection of, okay, I just created torque, consciously created torque at my hip and that changed what my foot did. And once they have that in their brain that, okay, my hips and my feet are connected, then you can really get the ball rolling of explaining that further. Um, and what I tell them is if you sit with your hip at 90 degrees, 10 hours a day, the muscles, the muscles in the front of your hip get very tight and they actually prevent you from being able to develop that torque. They prevent you from being able to recruit those posterior glutes, um, those stabilizers that are very important to make sure that you're able to generate that torque. So that's kind of, I mean, that's the Coles notes 101 on, on sitting and feet, but it really is that that's the bigger conversation is really the hip because like you said, shoes, pretty easy to understand. Stop wearing shitty footwear, do a couple little things for maybe five minutes a day to work on restoring your feet. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, there's not really much else that you need to do after that. It's really a hip conversation. Um, because a lot of the ankle mobility restrictions that we see are hip are, are of kind of a derived from a hip dysfunction. If your hip stabilizers can't work, in my brain, your calves take over as stabilizers. And if your calves are stabilizers, they are not going to be able to extend and lengthen uh, when you want them to. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're having a lot of luck. And that's where this whole beam thing came from. It's like when people have a hip mobility dysfunction, it usually correlates to a hip stability problem. And so balance beam was basically a way for us to screen people's hips, but also give them a tool that's low risk, is actually kind of fun uh, and that anyone can do regardless of their age or flexibility or strength and, and just work on it every day. And you slowly chip away at restoring uh, your, your kind of hip stability. Um, there's obviously a couple things that you need to do to kind of regain that hip extension, right? Cause we, I have people that come to the clinic that have negative hip extension. They can't even get their hip to a neutral position, let alone extend into a position where their glutes and their stabilizers can actually fire, right? It's like the whole weak core argument. It's like, Oh, you got a weak core. Yeah. You can't plank yourself out of, um, pelvic misalignment that causes yeah. your core to not fire. Like it's positional inhibitions, not weakness. And so I think the same thing applies to the glutes. If you go on Google and look up glute exercise, you'll get like 1 trillion exercises come up. 
And I think everyone's trying to get stronger glutes, but no one understands that the glutes don't fire because the front of your hip's tight because you sit all day. Fix that and your glutes start to kind of work again uh, or your stabilizers and all those kind of posterior hip muscles that are very important for uh, lower extremity kind of control, right? And that's where I always tell people, your glutes protect your ankles. If you have recurring ankle sprains, chances are you probably have dysfunctional and unstable hips because that's the biggest driver for losing control of your lower extremity. So um, yeah, hips. Hips, hips, hips. I mean, it's so, it's crazy. We have an epidemic of hip dysfunction and foot dysfunction. And no mm-hmm. one's really, people are talking about it, but it's not emphasized nearly as much as it should be. And, and you know, I think the biggest thing that I see in my clinic is people have done, you know, X amount of months of physio and their physio hasn't even told them or they're replaced physio with whatever you want. Massage therapist, Cairo, any health professional hasn't even had a conversation asking how much sitting do you do per day? How do we offset the effects of sitting? And how do we start to modify the amount of sitting you're doing? So you're not overdosing on that position. And that's like, that's the core conversation that needs to be had with most people. Um, so it just, we got to, I, we're tipping away at it, but you know, people like yourself, like the full collective, other, other physios that we do courses for, they're start, it makes intuitive sense, right? And people are hungry to learn. And once we get the information out there, I really think it's going to change the landscape of being able to teach people how to stop problems from ever developing instead of just chasing the problems that develop and then trying to get rid of, you know, trying to put out fires when we can just do some prevention work and never have fires. Yeah. And to go along with that too, uh, besides that sitting conversation, I'd say majority of the people I see or talk to who have seen other medical professionals with hip pain it's like all they're doing is stretches no <laughs> one's ever given them any strengthening anything at all and so it's like well of course they're holding tight because they're so freaking weak that that's the only thing they know how to do exactly that tension is basically the way they stabilize yeah um, so yeah i mean it's it is multifaceted and, and the the goal and the effort of of my continued learning is how do i simplify this as simple as possible, but no simpler, right? How do I make sure that I hit on every variable that contributes to these issues without making it so complex that people are lost? Because people are lost right now, right? You can, yeah. you can literally go on YouTube and Google and find anything you want, but organizing that information, filtering through what's good and what's bad, and also prioritizing what you should be doing. You know, everyone rolls on balls, which is great um, that people are aware of doing tissue work, but if you're not doing it in the right context, that's only a tool right? That's a tool that's part of the puzzle to regaining optimal movement. But if you're just using a tool, um, but you're not using the other components that are needed for results, then you end up rolling on balls every day and torturing yourself without getting long-term results. And that's kind of what, what I tend to see, especially with athletes. Yeah. And especially with the F, well, everyone in general, but especially with athletes, you know, they essentially, they just want to be able to do their workout or their next training session, their next mm-hmm. run. And so they're going to do whatever they can to just spot fix whatever the issue is at the time. And I think that's why so many people just end up doing that mobility work because they can loosen it up. They can go train and they feel great because it's loose. And then they never go back to, you know, addressing the actual issue because if they can just maintain it day to day, then, you know, they're surviving. Yeah. Running, running is one of, I'm not a big runner. I like doing sprints because I just like, you know, I have a big German shepherd. I like to run him because I think he needs to do that to stay healthy. And it's good for me too. I realized that it really makes me feel good. And it, you know, I mean some stuff about testosterone levels and going out for sprints on a regular basis. Um, and so I, I enjoy doing that, but I'm not a distance runner. 
However, I've really started to nerd out on distance running and how humans have literally been adapted to run and how most of the running community values running more volume or more miles more than they do running well, right? Like running is a skilled movement and it's actually a very difficult skilled movement. Um, it should be intuitive and people assume that, oh, everyone's got their own way of running or anyone can run. It's like, yeah, if you've been living like a human did 10,000 years ago, running is intuitive, but we live nothing like that anymore. And so, you know, it's one of those movements where three times your body weight is coming down on one leg every time you land. If you do that with good technique, you'd be okay. You just had to develop a tolerance. But if you do that with poor technique, it's devastating. And, and it sucks because like, I really think that evolution did a good job at giving us these intrinsic reward systems to do things that are good for us, right? Um, running is one of those, the runner's high. And you know, there's a couple other things that nature rewards us to do because it wants us to do it, right? It wants us to eat energy. Well, it wanted us to eat energy intensive food. That's why we love it. It wants us to have sex. It wants us to run. It wants us to be physical and move. And these are things that get rewarded. So when people look at running as their stress relief or a healthy habit that they can get a reward from or, or their meditation, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they go to their doctor and they're like, my knee's killing me when I run. And they're just told, well, you can't run anymore. If it hurts to run, don't run. And no conversation is happening about, okay, maybe let's look at how you're running because that's probably a bigger determinant than it's not binary. It's not run or don't run. It's maybe look at how you're running, right? If you go to the doctor and say, every time I deadlift, my back kills, uh, and the doctor's like, okay, don't deadlift. Well, maybe you're deadlifting 300 pounds every time with a crazy rounded back. Like maybe we should fix that instead before just saying don't deadlift. Same thing with running. We got to look at running as like this highly skilled movement that requires good technique before you put on a lot of mileage. And unfortunately, it's just the the, the kind of like work, 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 um, do more volume, do more miles mentality of runners. They're very hard workers and they're very um, motivated people. They're just being led down, I think, the wrong path. And, and that's, it sucks to hear a lot of stories of runners that love running, but can't run anymore. Um, and so that's what got me interested in running. And, and it just ties, it's just a nice way um, to tie in foot and hip health into like a performance realm. Um, so, and I'm really, I'm really enjoying that. Well, that's what I was going to uh, say is the runners, yeah, they just want to run, especially the ultra runner marathoners. They just want to run. And that's a crazy sport. I, I, I'm, amazed. <laughs> I'm always amazed. Honestly, my mind is, right? but yeah, it's uh, more, the more I understand running and running mechanics, the more I look at that as something that's less alien and more feasible based on using, you know, good running mechanics and, and mm -hmm. getting the efficiency from uh, inert structures. But I'm still amazed at people that can do that kind of thing like those. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I'm like, I've done the marathon distance. I don't want to do anything higher than that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> but like, especially at those distances, they need that control. And so many of, or barely any of them understand that they need to be strengthening their hips. They need to be doing things to actually keep their muscular endurance there. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely a conversation you have to have with them in order to keep them to be able to run pain-free. Cause so let's get into this actually a little bit. So weak hips, weak feet. When we're talking up or down the chain, you know, we're talking could be foot and ankle pain, could be a lot of it's knee pain that a lot of this causes, a lot of it's back pain that a lot of this causes. So mm -hmm. it's not just this hip and ankle issue. It's the entire body that these weaknesses can cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I always tell people that like um, knee, foot and low back are the common ways that these symptoms materialize but you can work on those areas all you want. That's not where it's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. It's coming from hip 
and ankle. Those are the two, those are the major ones that I see. And yeah, there's an element of weakness, but there's also an element of your brain just doesn't know to fire those muscles, right? Like you literally have to rewire some of these patterns before you can even address strength. Because if you're trying to strengthen a certain area, but all you're doing is using the muscles you've always used and still neglecting those, the ones that you've kind of gotten used to not using, um, that's really the challenging part is how do you, how do you stimulate someone by putting them in a position or an environment where they have no choice but to rewire and remap the right areas? Um, but yeah, you're right. Like the knees and the backs pay the price for problems at the hip and the ankle is, is kind of the way in terms of a very global, that's very yeah. simplified, but, um, yeah, that's exactly what we see. And it's like that pattern is so, so telltale and so obvious to me now. And it never used to be, and it was never taught in physio school. Like that's one thing I'm It's really is a big frustration of mine that, um, the institutional education that health professionals get is so far behind where it should be and is so resilient to changing into like, you know, let's get into the two thousands people. Like it's not, I'm not asking you to be on the cutting edge of stuff. I just, maybe let's talk about a hinge. Let's just say the word hinge in the two years of physio school. Let's talk about a squat, right? I don't give a shit about memorizing ultrasound machine parameters for two months. It's useless, you know? So I really think it has to start there. It has to start with the physicians because they're the ones that are, you know, patient goes to a doctor and says, my knee kills. What do I do? Doctor says, go to see a physio. Three months later, comes back after whatever, 20 visits at a, at a Mick physio clinic um, and says, yeah, I still have knee pain. Doctor, instead of asking, okay, well, what are you doing in physio? Just says, okay, well, physio didn't work. You know, modify your activity. So it has to start with them to, to just have the conversation. Okay, what are you doing in physio? Yeah. Well, I spend most of my time hooked up to a machine. Okay, well, maybe find a different physio. Here are some people that target um, movement-based therapy and instead of just doing passive modalities, right? Or here are people that can educate you on what you need to work on at home. If you're really motivated to get better, you will. Um, that's, that's where it has to start. Number two, we got we to gotta be teaching physios better stuff. Physios, chiros, massage therapists, all the above. Like they need to get a bit of education on um, effective treatment and effective how to effectively educate people to prevent problems from developing instead of just waiting till things blow up and then trying to patch it back together. Like, it's really, it's very systemic. And it's like, I live in Ottawa, it's capital of Canada, it's a very big government town, everyone has health benefits. And so there's so much money going to waste with, um, you know, like I said, these McPhysio clinics that one therapist sees four patients an hour. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yeah, it's insane. And I don't know, you know, part of it is our physio college in Canada should be regulating that and being like, okay, well, that's fraud that that's getting very, very greedy. Let's regulate this and make it so that one physio, one person, at least 30 minute mm -hmm. visits, like, let's just take a look at, okay, how are we trying to help people? Cause this is not the best way to do it. This is the best way to make a ton of money. Um, uh, but it's the worst way to actually help people. Um, so I don't know, sorry, that went off on a bit of a no. tangent. But I think, I think the health system has to, the education system teaching the next generation of, uh, Kairos, physios, massage therapists and physicians needs to change and be brought into alignment with, you know, the fact that our health system isn't sustainable in Canada. It's not in the United States. It's not, we like, we need to change something. And so where does it start and how do we implement this stuff right now instead of dilly dallying and waiting 10 years to change this? Cause by then it's going to be a lot further along than where it is now. Yeah. And it truly, it truly has to be a change at our level in order to really get people to understand like this preventative medicine and preventing injuries and that, and that sort of thing. But ultimately until the healthcare system changes, that's not going to, you know, they don't want to pay for preventive. They just want to pay for, okay, they're broken now and now we'll fix it. And mm -hmm. so it's, it is this huge disconnect between 
let's just do a big procedure and fix the problem versus, well, we could have saved $100,000 and mm. done preventive stuff in, ahead of time. And, and I, yeah, we're going a different direction than this was going to go, but <laughs> it's just something that needs to be addressed at the educational level. Um, Cause I don't think until clinicians do start changing their mindset on things and how thing how the body truly works that anything's really going to change. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a harder thing to change. I've learned this by working with some of the physio programs and we're uh, working with some residents at the uh, medical school in Ottawa. There's a lot of bureaucracy. So uh, you like, you're changing it more than probably the schools are right now. You have a podcast, you have a platform, you can speak to people beyond just your local um, physical location. Um, And if you educate people, if people are willing to listen and they're listening to what we're saying, you know, we're starting up a podcast with uh, the full collective now too if you're teaching people what they need to look for, then they're the ones that are going to demand a change. They're going to go to McPhysio and say, no, 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 no. This isn't what I'm supposed to be getting. I want to learn how to move better. I don't want this machine. I know this machine doesn't do anything for me. So if it comes from there, if you start at grassroots and educate people and guide them on where to get good information, um, I really think that that will, the people will demand a change and will literally filter out the health professionals that aren't focusing on the effective stuff. Um, And I think that's where it needs to start, right? Like, you have access to anyone on planet earth right now that has an internet connection. And so I, I really think that that is the most powerful uh, call for change because you can access anyone. You can, you know, if someone's willing to give you their ear and you can prove to them that what you're saying is a value, they will listen and they'll use that to guide their decisions that they make in their own town or in their own city or with their own health or with the rest of their family. And it really does become, you know, someone listens to this conversation realizes, okay, I should be doing move. I should be learning about movement. I can actually prevent things from, I can prevent injuries from happening. If I just do the right stuff, I have to, you know, sort out the shoe in the sitting situation and they tell their kids and they tell their friends and their family. And then they tell their friends and family, like it really does spread if, if, and, and it speaks for itself, right? If they do the stuff, it works. It's not rocket science. I always tell people, don't believe what I'm saying. Just be open-minded to try it. And when it works, then you know, it works. So, yeah, this is a powerful platform. I mean, I really think that audio, um, this is going to replace a lot of the mainstream media. This is going to yeah, replace, yeah. I think to a certain degree, is going to replace some of the treatments that we're doing in clinic because, you know, a lot of half of my session is education based where I'm just talking to someone and telling them this is what you need to do at home. And if you can create a platform where, you know, I think quality health advice should be open sourced. Like everyone should be able to access good health advice if they're interested and motivated to find it. So, um, there's always going to be a place to go see a health professional and have your movement looked at and have immediate feedback. But I think that place is going to get less and less important because so much of the background stuff, you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of get a bit tired sometimes of telling people the exact same thing day in, day out about, okay, it's because you're sitting. Here's what we do to offset the effects of sitting. Here's how you modify your sitting. Like if that can be put out there as just a baseline and they have all that background info, I can do so much more with each visit in clinic if they already have that information and I don't have to spend an hour talking about that. So I think that's, that's going to be very, very powerful for us. Yeah. And that's really why I got into doing all the content I'm doing on social media and my blog and the podcast and YouTube. It's just because I can just put that out there. People can see it. People can look at it. Or if they have, you know, if someone, if I overhear a conversation at the gym, I can just shoot them like this information and very mm-hmm. easily can educate people. So yeah, that's exactly why I got started in all these different platforms is for the education purpose for you and I mean it's not it 
yeah, this first one I started up and I didn't really stay motivated and consistent with it. And like, it's hard work, right? To put this all together. So good for you. And thank you for doing this because this is literally um, a huge changer in some people's lives. Like it makes a big difference. So um, thank you for, for doing this because it takes time, right? It takes effort. Um, and, you know, it takes consistency to put out regular content, but that, that really is what's going to end up stimulating the biggest change, I think. Definitely. So let's get into this preventive stuff a little bit. So someone is listening to this. They realize they need to ch maybe change their shoes, change their sitting posture. Maybe they just need to start working their feet a little bit. Where do we start? Where does someone start uh, strengthening their feet or mobilizing their foot and ankle? What do you, where's your like, kind of number one? Yeah, good question. So the way I think about um, the way I give anyone advice or the way I treat my patients is in three kind of sections. And this, I'm pretty sure I took this from Greg, Greg Cook. Uh, it's protect, correct, develop. So number one is protect. So what is, you're coming to me with a dysfunction. What actually created this dysfunction in the first place? So protect means wear shoes built for human feet, right? That seems very, very mundane and silly, but it is literally true. Wear shoes that don't put you on a ramp, that allow your foot to play it like it's supposed to, that allow you to feel the ground underneath you, that allow your foot to, to be as mobile as it should be if you're barefoot, um, just wear a shoe that protects your foot from damage, that's it, nothing else. So wear human shoes. Number two, you can get into your foot, take a lacrosse ball, roll out the sole of your foot. We have some videos at tfcshop.com showing that, um, but it's very basic. But honestly, just switching your shoes alone if you get rid of the harmful footwear makes a massive difference there. Number two is look at the hip, right? do some basic stuff to offset the sitting that you do do during the day. So my, my advice to people, my rule of thumb is for every hour you spend in a hip 90 degree position, you need to do about a minute per hip uh, of a hip extension mobilization to offset the effects of that time spent in flexion. So um, work on that. Make sure you do the sitting offset at the end of every day, just like a balance sheet. Eight hours of sitting means you got to do eight minutes of work on your hip extension at some point during the day and then eventually transition to a standing workstation, to a dynamic workstation where you're doing a bit of standing, a bit of sitting in different positions, sit on the floor, um, kneel down, like really ch change your positions regularly because this static position where we're stuck in one position for a long period of time is not what humans are designed to do and it wreaks havoc on the body in ways that are not directly connected, right? Like people don't connect, oh, my knee's killed to it's because I sit all day. Like they're different spots, right? They just mm -hmm. see sitting as this very, um, you know, innocent thing that just everyone does because it's so ingrained in our society. But it really is the biggest problem I think that I see in my clinic is the fact that people sit. And that includes older people. That includes people that are middle-aged and work. That includes kids because they have a desk job. They sit all day in school, which I think is one of the craziest things uh, ever. But it is what it is. It's one of those things. So yeah, wear human shoes, spend time barefoot, get out of your chair learn how to offset the effects of sitting. And, and really those two things can be insanely powerful. And then there's different levels where, okay, you want to spend an extra 20 minutes a day? Here's what you can do. You know, spend some time on a balance beam. Uh, spend some time working on your squat mobility, right? Your ankle mobility. Like you can, you can prioritize based on where people's dysfunctions are, but if they just limit their sitting to two hours a day, work at a dynamic workstation and spend time in human shoes, that's massive. That's way, that's so powerful. I, I, it's hard for me to describe how effective that can be for, for almost everyone that I treat. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I, that's right where I go with people too, is the standing more sitting less mm -hmm. and then the barefoot. How and exercise. You and, and you know, one thing we sorry to interrupt there, no, um, movement versus exercise. They're very different. Yes. Right? Exercise is a small subset of movement and everyone exercises, but no one moves. 
And I really think we have to shift the way we think about fitness and, and movement from this um, very unilateral, 10 different patterns done repetitively as a way to get a workout or uh, lose weight, which is really not done in the gym. It's done with what you put in your mouth. And, you know, like we got to move more and exercise less. And we got to think about things beyond uh, just movement in terms of health. Like we got like everyone should sleep eight hours a day. Right. It's like I think that's that just should happen. But no one is getting that. Mm-hmm. Everyone should eat food built for humans. Right. Food that human bodies are are, are adapted to digest and to process. Uh, and almost no one's doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, it just sucks because there's so much money in disease. There's not a lot of money in health, right? Everything that's bad for you or kills you makes a lot of money for a lot of people. So it's, it's, a, it's a hard battle to fight, but you get to a tipping point where there's no choice but to, but to look at it and, and look at it objectively and be like, shit, we've been doing this wrong for a long time. And I think that point is coming. We're already seeing, you know, uh, you always hear that stat thrown around now where the, this is the first generation that's going to live less long than their parents, which is insane. Like we're de-evolving, we're going backwards. So if that's not a signal that we have to change what we're doing, I don't know what, what is. Yeah. And I, and I think some of it comes down to just financial at, at some point, because to eat healthy is more expensive. Like you can go get really cheap processed food or you mm-hmm. can get expensive, you know, fruits, vegetables, yeah. You know, I mean, you can also grow, like I grow vegetables in my backyard. It's expensive in terms of time and the yeah. time I have to spend to research it and, and maintain the garden. But money wise, like a bag of seeds for tomato plants is super, super cheap. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just, and I understand time is money and people, you know, if you got a family and you're working as much as you can just to make ends meet. Yeah, sure. That's hard. But, um, you know, <laughs> even the food that we do this, this, it's so frustrating because you go to a supermarket and the food, like I go to a grocery store, I buy a tomato. It's grown in Mexico. It has probably zero nutrients left in it. The soil that it was grown in was probably nutrient deficient, uh, even to start. And the fact that it was picked a month ago and I'm eating it now, um, even though it looks perfect and it's not moldy, there's almost no nutrients in that. So, you know, I think that's, it's so, it's so frustrating because even when someone wants to eat healthy, we're still eating food that's deficient in micronutrients. You know, we need these. Yeah. I really think a sustainable way is to have these. If the government instituted a pilot program where little, small, siloed nonprofits, um, where someone was paid by the government to run like this collective farming effort, where they, or number one, it was education based. So they have people come in and they teach them, okay, this is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. And this is why. Um, and they had like a small little, you know, urban farming now is, is getting much more popular in Canada. And it's so cool to see, you know, people taking these unused plots of land and making these small scale, highly, highly um, dense farming operations where you can grow a lot in a small amount of space with not very much wasted nutrients and water um, and feed the, the surrounding area, right? Like people can buy fresh vegetables that are seasonal um, and are super, super high in nutrient density. And if you had a place where people could learn also how to cook these things so that they were just as delicious as the shitty food that you buy, um, I, it's like that's powerful. It's just, it, it just requires someone to really knuckle down and say, okay, we got how, what are the steps we need to take in order to execute this? Because that's a big part, but you're right. I mean, a, a $2 cheeseburger is, is dangerous on multiple levels and it's because it's so cheap, yeah. right? Take away some of the government subsidies that becomes much more expensive and that's part of the problem solved. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're very macro level problems is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Uh, want to get back? We keep it off subject, but um, yeah, just want to cover one more I'm thing. To the topic, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries, no worries. We're getting to good topics. Yeah. Uh, I did want to get into 
someone wants to transition from a regular shoe into a normal human foot shoe. Yep. Best way to do that to not flare up things. What do, what's your kind of route to go? Yeah. So uh, what's that person doing with it? Are they just looking like they're not running? They're just like an everyday shoe? Let's just go general population. Yeah. General population. And do they have some sort of pre-existing like plantar fascia or something like that? Actually, yeah. you know what? Scrap that because it doesn't change the, yeah. it, Let's just go to, it might change the speed of the transition, but it yeah. doesn't change the process. So yeah. In general, um, what's your process? Yeah. Yeah. Number one, spend time barefoot around the house. That's number one. Right. And people say, Oh, well it hurts when I go barefoot. Okay. I'll go barefoot for 30 seconds or a minute or 30 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, pick a time where you can do it. And it's, it's hilarious. I get people in the clinic, you know, like I can't spend time barefoot. It hurts my feet. I say, okay. And then I go through start of the assessment and say, okay, let's take your shoes off so I can see how you're moving. And I keep them engaged in a conversation for the full hour. And by the end, I'm like, your feet hurt right now. And they're like, no, nah, they feel great. Did you know you don't have shoes on You're barefoot? You just spent an hour barefoot and you just told me your feet feel great. Oh, Oh, I didn't know that. I thought my feet would hurt by going barefoot. It's like, well, you learned something. So just start, start by spending time barefoot, right? If you don't want to bite the bullet and buy human shoes and you want to keep wearing these inhuman shoes, um, that's fine. You know, if you want to test and see if they'll actually make you feel better, just spend time barefoot. It's free. It doesn't cost a thing. Take everything off your feet, walk around. It's very simple. So that's the starting point. And then other than that, I mean, it's, there are things you need to do upstream to address problems at the feet. So you know, if you don't be surprised that if you first start to wear human shoes, you're going to have very stiff and you're going to have very weak feet. And part of getting the strength and mobility back is going to be a bit of foot soreness, right? I'm not talking about razor sharp needle pain. I'm talking about oh, my feet are kind of achy. Yeah, it's because you're just, you're, you're literally mobilizing your feet every step you take. You're starting to recruit muscles that have never really been used before. So they're going to get sore, just like if you did a hard workout, your muscles would be sore. Um, so I really think, you know, one thing we're, that we just added to our seminar is talking a little bit about pain science. What is pain? How, you know, what, why is it there? What do we do with it? Use it as a, we talk about using it as a guide, use it as a signal or, or feedback from your body to say whether or not you need to be working on something. So, you know, I think too many people associate pain with damage. And so as soon as something hurts, they're like, okay, it's bad. Something's happening. That's wrong. I got to pop these little pills and cover it up. Like it's, we got to put pain into context so that people understand that Pain or soreness is your guide to actually building tissue tolerance, to building a tolerance to, to move in a way that you may not have moved before. So um, if you put that context in the background in the, in the optimal way where someone understands, it's very simple for them to self-regulate switching over to human shoes. And honestly, it takes almost no time for most people. Even someone that's spent 10 years in orthotics takes way less time than they would think to transition to zero support. It just takes a motivation to be open-minded that it's going to work, understand why we're doing it, understand that abyss soreness is okay. Um, and I, I, I have not been unsuccessful at transitioning someone to a barefoot or, you know, I'm starting to call them human shoes now. I'm fed up with this whole barefoot thing because I sound like a hippie talking about barefoot shoes. Like they barefoot and shoe in the same sense. This makes no sense. So I'm just calling them human shoes because that's what they are. And I, like that. I, like that. I always find it hilarious. It's like people freak out when they see Vibrams and they literally look like feet, you know, like yeah. You don't freak out when you see someone wearing a round helmet because your skull is round. That's how, you know, if you wore gloves that were shaped like, I don't even know, like shovels and they were on top of your hand, you'd be like, that's weird as shit. It's like, yeah, gloves look like hands. Shoes should look like feet. Maybe not individual toes, but like they should have the, the, the base shape of a foot. And the fact that most shoes end in a pointy tip is like, that's the weirdest shit ever. And no one, no one bats, like no one bats an eye that people wear those weird contraptions all day. 
Uh, and I never used to. And, you know, to be quite honest, I don't tell people not to wear certain shoes, right? You want to wear heels, power to you, you can do what you want. But I want you to understand what those things do to your feet because that's the disconnect. People don't understand the consequences of wearing pointed shoes or heeled shoes. And so why would they not wear them, right? They think they look good. That's what everyone else is wearing. We want to blend in and be fashionable. But if you know that those shoes are causing your bunions, those shoes are causing your foot pain, they're going to destroy your, your ability for your foot to function, then they're like, okay, maybe you got to reassess. Like, is, are the pros worth the cons? And for a lot of people, the answer is no. Uh, but the education of understanding the pros and the cons uh, is the part that's missing. And that's what, that's what we're trying to fill at TFC is give people the right information to make their own decisions because adults can make their own decisions, right? You want to jump off a bridge with that parachute? I'll probably tell you it's not a good thing to do, but at the end of the day, you're the one making the decision. Same thing with shoes. So yeah, just people need to be educated because Nike's not going to tell you that their shoes destroy your, destroy your feet or take away your ability to move like a human being. So I got to, you know, I got to make up for the lack of education given by footwear companies that are putting out shoes that are really not good for human feet. Yeah, definitely. With your athletes, I've always gone with kind of the 10% rule starting about like with, especially with runners, about 10% of their total distance is what they're going to start wearing uh, the human shoes for. Is that kind of where you start with them? Yeah, that's probably a good rule. I mean, I, I honestly go based on, um, I try and teach them how to self-regulate as much as possible. So it's more, okay, this level of soreness means taper down. This is an average. I think 10% is good. Yeah. Um, are you talking about like 10% per week or per yeah. run? Per week, yeah. yeah. So whatever, like, I, I don't know what the magic number is. And oftentimes if people will ask me a number, I'll say, start with a walk jog, start with a short run, start with intervals. Um, and the feedback that I get from them, because here's the thing, you might get, I've gotten people that, you know, if I give them the 10% rule, they come back after their first run, they're like, I feel great. They go on a, a mid run, they feel great, bit of calf soreness. In two weeks, they could go to being full-time running in, you know, it depends on what their running volume yeah. is. Um, for someone that has lower running volume and is just running recreationally can probably transition significantly quicker. Um, but it depends if they have zero hip extension, it's going to take them longer. If they've never used their springs in the back of their legs, uh, you know, their Achilles or their calf to absorb impact, it's going to take them a bit of time to build a tissue tolerance. And, you know, someone's weight can play into it, right? If someone's mm -hmm. 150 pounds overweight, that's a lot of smashing going on in their calves for the first time. So that person's probably going to take a lot longer. So, it's, you know, obviously just like anything else, the answer is it depends, but I think that's probably a good metric to at least create a guide to then get the feedback from and say, okay, maybe we, this is a good um, kind of framework and let's adjust as needed. And I think an important thing too to say is that tight or any soreness you get from it is not going to typically show up during the run. Like mm -hmm. that no. muscle soreness, it's going to be delayed. So it's going to be something you don't want to go out and run five miles in it if you've never run in them before. Yep. because you I did that made, <laughs> yeah, <it> <laughs> you very possibly be hurting the next day. Yeah, exactly. And it's all part of the learning experience, right? If you're running, if you're doing some sort of performance sport, like there's going to be consequences to every performance sport. And the idea is minimize the consequences um, and, and provide people the tools with how to troubleshoot. Okay. If this gets tight or this is getting sore, what do I need to adjust or what do I need to do to work on that area to make sure I speed up my recovery as much as possible and I mitigate future soreness? You know, what can I be strengthening? Can my hip be doing a lot more to stabilize my body so that my calves don't have to do as much? Um, can I get 10, 10 degrees more hip extension so that my ass can help push me forward instead of just relying on my hamstring and my calf? So really looking at the biomechanics and okay, this area hurts, you know, is it something that just I have to get used to or is it something where it's doing three times the amount of work it should be doing because something else isn't working. And that's, that's where 
you know, there's only, I think the FMS or the SFMA has done a really good job at putting an algorithm to like giving us a, a system, right? A system to treating people, a system for going through and troubleshooting, prioritizing which part is a problem. How do we go down that list? But for the layperson, I, I really think that, you know, despite how complicated the foot is and despite how complicated the body is, it doesn't, you don't really have to give people complicated advice in order for them to actually improve. So, um, yeah, just empowering them to understand, okay, if this is happening, if this is really sore, maybe I shouldn't run if I'm insanely sore or insanely tight, you know, maybe I'll just go for a walk instead. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can educate them on how to make walking a hip mobility exercise and make walking a breathing exercise and a, a very conscious movement that's actually very difficult. And I have much more respect for walking than I used to. Um, so stuff like that helps to bridge the gap of giving them something to do in recovery and not feel like they're not doing anything. Um, but also give them like a useful movement that's, uh, you know, low threshold, low intensity that can do a lot of benefit for the next time they run. Perfect. So, hey, yeah. so I know you need to be getting off here and getting going. Uh, just real quick, where can people reach out to you? Where can they find you if they want to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. So our Instagram is our main platform that we use to post information. And that actually goes right into our Facebook account as well. So it's uh, at the full collective to find that one. Um, our education site, which is where you can find podcasts like this, uh, where we're going to post all of our new podcasts is um, thefootcollective.com. And then our product based site where we sell uh, human shoes, where we sell balance beams and accessories like toe spreaders and foot restoration kits is tfc-shop.com. So those are all of our uh, main platforms. Um, we have our foot nerd program launching in 2019 for any health professionals or just people that are really interested in learning about feet and want to help others. You know, um, we give these seminars and workshops and um, are creating the content ourselves. But at the end of the day, in order for this thing to scale, we need to have other like-minded people helping us to spread the message um, and eventually creating a platform where they can be uh, compensated. They can actually make money by helping us spread the word. And that's kind of the end goal is, to create a, a platform where people can get trained to understand the basics of feet and hips um, and then kind of create a, a digital platform that's, you know, you can think of it as the Uber of, of, uh, of health, right? If you know a lot about, if you understand feet and understand hips and how to help people with them and someone in um, Ireland wants to understand uh, their body better because they're having issues, TFC, we want TFC to connect those two people and provide a, a channel where they, those people can, can speak and do a consultation and um, all the parties can, you know, person A can pay person B and, uh, and make sure that, you know, make sure there's commerce that can happen across the world for people giving education to people that need the education. So that's the end goal. And the Footner program is kind of our first step into that to creating a training platform and, and troubleshooting and improving that over time. But um but yeah, I mean, we're just, our primary goal, the only reason we sell shoes is because people in Canada couldn't get human shoes, right? There's not really any company selling this stuff here. So my intention was actually never to sell shoes. Um, I've learned that selling shoes is actually quite difficult in terms of people trying them on. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's tough business. Uh, I have a lot of respect for people that run a shoe company, but I think it's a necessary element because of how big of an effect your footwear has on your foot. I think us um, at least having control over the experience of people buying footwear to make sure they're being guided to the right footwear um, and and kind of only stocking styles that are actually good for human feet is, is kind of what our goal with that is. So, but primarily we're a foot health company. We're going to stay that way. And our seminars that we do kind of across the world now are, are our main flagship education product, but um, we're going to try and keep progressing more and more. Um, you know, like I said, the new podcast is starting up the TFC audio project. Uh, we're going to try and keep progressing our Instagram content, our YouTube content, and try and make as much of it as we can for free. 
uh, available for free uh, as long as it doesn't prevent us from from growing bigger and bigger. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk today. I greatly appreciate it. No worries. Thank and you for having me on. I appreciate it. And like I said, thank you for doing this because it's not easy. It's super important. And I think everyone listening can probably uh, share this, that we really do appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. Show notes can be found at highlyfunctional.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you would go on to iTunes and give me a five-star rating and review, as well as share this on social media with all your friends and followers. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.